0: The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at ShadesValley.org. Hey, Shades. Um, I'm going to be reading the scripture for today. Um, We're reading from Psalm 150, Um, so I'll give you a second to turn there. Psalm 150 says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp, praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So it was about five months ago that I invited you to open your Bibles to the first psalm, Psalm chapter 1, for a new series entitled Planted for Praise. And today I invite you to open to the final psalm, if you haven't done so already, Psalm 150, which Psalm 150 is a fitting conclusion to a series entitled Planted by Praise because Psalm 150 is all about the purpose for which we are planted. What purpose is that? Praise. Praise. We have been planted for praise. Look at Psalm 50 and verse 1. It simply begins, praise the Lord. That phrase is a single word in Hebrew. You know it. Do you know what it is? Praise the Lord. Single word in Hebrew. Anybody? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, it's, that word, it's actually, it's a command. Uh, and it's, it's a command that concludes the Psalter again and again and again. Read through the last five Psalms, Psalms 146, 147, 48, 49, 50. All of those Psalms begin and end exactly like we see right here. One word, hallelujah, praise the Lord. The, the final five Psalms are, are like one big doxology. I don't know if you remember, we've talked about this a few times as we've gone throughout the Psalms. But the Psalter is actually divided into five books and if you go and look at the conclusion of each of those books, what you will find is a doxology, a, a short, brief word praising the Lord. They're like signposts as you go throughout the Psalter. The Psalter has given you signposts that the way this stream flows, the way its current pulls is towards praise. And with Psalm 150, we reach the waterfall at the end of this stream. And the current is so strong, we can't help but be pulled over, plunged into a straight-up pool of praise. This is the purpose. This is the purpose for which we are planted like a tree. Remember that from Psalm 1? This is the purpose for which we're planted like a tree in the streams of the Psalms, so that we may drink deeply and bear the fruit of praise. No matter matter what season of life we are in. I mean, have we not seen throughout the Psalter that there is a psalm for every season? And every last one of them, they, they meet us where we are. Whether we're in the midst of praise and celebration, or whether we are in the depths of despair and depression, whether we're angry, sorrowful, hurting, whether we've sinned and are in need of forgiveness and grace. The Psalms, every last one of them, they meet us wherever we are and they plant us in the promise, God reigns, no matter your situation, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're in, God reigns and he is coming to make all wrongs right. That current is what pulls us towards praise. I hope we've seen that the overarching movement of the psalter flows in this direction. The overarching movement of the psalter is from lament to praise. We've seen tons and tons of psalms that are laments. They primarily fall on the front end of the psalter. And as you move from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150, the laments get less and less, and the praise psalms get more and more until you reach this conclusion where there is just this crescendo, this eruption of of praise. That's the direction that the current flows in. Are you, here's my question for us for this morning, are you planted in that stream? We can know. We can know if we are because we will be bearing the fruit of praise. That, and shades, I hope you know that that doesn't mean, I I say this kind of thing all the time, That doesn't mean, when I say, if we're planted in the stream of the Psalms, God's word, we'll know because we'll be bearing the fruit of praise. That does not mean you will always be giddy or chipper or happy, slappy, glad. But what that does mean is that even when things are at their worst, you will still be empowered to say the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The ultimate promise of the Psalms. We we see it coming to fruition right here at the conclusion. In Psalm 150, the ultimate promise of the Psalms is that the day will come when all of our sorrows will give way to joy. When all of our praise will be nothing but, it won't be tinged with any kind of sorrow. It won't be hard or heavy. It will all be pure celebration. Shades, I got to remember not to step back because this thing, got to speak into this microphone. Shades, over, over the last five months, we have sought to plant ourselves by the streams of this psalm of the Psalms. And and this morning I just want to ask, have we have we can know because we'll be bearing the fruit of praise. What does that look like? Psalm 150 shows us. It gives the Psalm gives us four commands and then one final call. Four commands and then one final call that show us what our praise looks like. Now and forever. We're going to walk through these together. See them with me. See command number one. The first command, number one, the first command shows us who we praise. Was our praise supposed to look like? We've been planted by these groups. The first command shows us what it looks like by showing us who we praise. Look again at the one phrase we've read thus far. Psalm 50 and verse 1. Praise the Lord. Notice that Lord right there is in all caps. Which We've talked about this throughout the series. That's the translator's way of telling you the Hebrew word behind our English word right there. When it appear, when Lord appears in all caps, it's telling you this is a proper name, not a title. It's the name of God, Yahweh. You know, Jonathan, how's the name of God right there? You said this was one single word in Hebrew. It is. It is hallelujah, which is a compound word of hallel, which means to praise, and yah, an abbreviation for Yahweh. It literally just means praise Yahweh. This is the most important thing for us to see about our praise. Namely, who it is to. It's to Yahweh, a name that emphasizes that God is faithful. He is our covenant-keeping king. We've got to see this, shades, because this, this is what transforms this command from a demand to a delight. Commands, which that's what hallelujah is, it is a plural command given to all of God's people. Commands normally hit us as a demand. It's something we've got to do, it's our duty, it's just heavy, it's all of that. Commands hit us as a demand, unless the command concerns our delight. For instance, if my wife says to me, kiss me, that may be a command, you could even call it a demand, but you better believe it's my delight. That's the way hallelujah should hit our hearts. It should hit our hearts that way, specifically because of who it calls us to praise. Yahweh, our covenant-keeping king, who has lavished upon us his steadfast, never-ending, faithful love. This is Yahweh who created us, without whom we wouldn't exist. And even though he created us and we rebelled, he redeemed us. And even though we went through all that, he's sustaining us day by day until we are fully and finally at home with him. It's just calling us to praise Yahweh. Yahweh who is the greatest treasure and joy in all the universe. All other treasures, all other things in creation point towards him as the truest and greatest treasure. And he's promised to give us himself as our joy forever. When, when God commands you to praise him, he is commanding you to come and find your full delight. That's, that's what we see. And probably my favorite verse in the entire Psalter that I'm sure y'all are done hearing by now, I've quoted ad nauseum, not just when we're in the Psalms, but it's Psalm sixteen eleven. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore, full joy forever, where in God. Everything else is created to point you to that, because nothing else gives you full joy forever. It may give you a lot of joy for a lot of time, but none of it's full joy forever. It's meant to pull you back, to show you the one who who made all that, the only one who can satisfy your hearts. Shades, do you want to know if you are planted in this stream? Are you being pulled towards our covenant-keeping King? That's, that's the current. That's, that's the direction. That's the destination to which the Psalms pull us. A destination of delight and praise. They pull us toward joy. They pull us toward praise. They pull us towards Jesus. Our covenant-keeping king. Shade, do you want to know if you've been planted in this stream? Are you being pulled towards Jesus? Who in life are you being pulled towards? Who who is your delight? If we are planted in the streams of this word, we will bear the fruit of praise. And what does that look like? It looks like delight in Christ. He is who we praise. Number two, second command in this psalm. The second command shows us where we praise. The second command shows us where we praise. Look at the rest of verse one. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Where do we praise God? In His sanctuary. Now, for the first readers of this psalm, that word would immediately make them think about the sanctuary, the literal sanctuary, the temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem, that was a place of worship, and it was designed with a specific purpose. It was designed to remind worshipers of exactly who they were worshiping, namely their creator and redeemer. I wish we had time to dig into all the details. We don't this morning. But the temple was designed to remind you you're worshiping the creator and the redeemer. It was designed to remind you that you're worshiping the creator. The the temple was decorated in such a way to reflect creation, most specifically to reflect the Garden of Eden. I mean, you could talk about the Garden of Eden as like being the original temple, where where mankind enjoyed perfect fellowship, perfect worship of God, and the temple's decorated in such a way to remind you. That's who you're worshiping, your creator. Not only was it decorated like that, it was laid out, like it was the, the floor plan of it, where everything went. It was laid out in such a way to remind worshipers of redemption, that you're worshiping your Redeemer to remind you that it's through sacrifice that you would be redeemed and be brought back into perfect worship and perfect fellowship with God. In fact, the combination of being reminded of redemption and creation has purpose there. It's meant to remind you of the promise of God that he will one day redeem all of creation, to be once again that perfect temple of his presence. Is that not precisely what's pointed to right here in Psalm 150? In the parallel line of verse 1, look at it again. Praise God in his sanctuary. Here's the parallel line. Praise him in his mighty heavens. In other words, from the earthly sanctuary to the heavenly sanctuary. and every, That's called a merism. It doesn't just emphasize the ends. It emphasizes everything in between. In other words, all of creation is the place of praise. Because God created it all. And he's redeeming it all. He's the Creator and the Redeemer. Shades just like the temple was meant to remind the Israelites of that. All of creation should remind us of the fact that we worship all, all uh, that we worship the Creator and the Redeemer. From the earthly sanctuary to the heavenly sanctuary, all of creation should remind us of that. All of creation should pull us towards praise. Think of it this way. It's it's like my kids walking through my house. Like everything there, every single thing they see should be a reminder of mine and Holly's loving provision for them. From the bed they sleep in, the clothes they wear, toys they play with, food they eat, all of it makes them just sing our praises. Not really, but you get the point. All right. Everything in creation Likewise, everything in creation points us to the powerful, loving provision of our creator. And even all the brokenness, even the sin, even the suffering, all of that reminds us of the reality that he is at work redeeming Everything through Jesus and his promise that one day redemption will be brought to completion Romans 8 says that creation itself groans and longs for that day the day when redemption will be brought to completion when creation itself will be fully and finally set free shades do you see this do you see where we praise everywhere Everywhere you are is where we praise. Because everywhere you are points you to the one that we praise. Our creator and our redeemer. This word is the lens through which we come to see that reality. Like shades, do you want to know if you're planted in this stream? When you look around the world... What do you see? Or who is interpreting what you see for you? What lens are you seeing it through? The lens of favorite news channel or social media app or the culture or name it. When you look around the world, what do you see? and What do you feel building up in you? Are you being pulled towards praise? Are you being pulled towards love or are you being pulled towards hate? When you look around at the world, are you being pulled towards joy or being pulled towards bitterness? Are you being pulled towards peace or being pulled towards anger? being pulled towards patience or pulled towards irritability? Are you being pulled towards love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Those are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And if those aren't the things that we are being pulled towards, then we need to ask what spirit is pulling us. What spirit is leading us? Because if the Holy Spirit of God has planted us in this word so that it becomes the lens through which we see the world, then we will be pulled towards praise. For we will see this world as the sanctuary of the creator and the redeemer. It will be where we praise. And the current of all creation will pull us towards the praise of our creator and redeemer. It will pull us towards Jesus. Number three. We've seen who we praise, where we praise. Number three. The third command of this psalm shows us why we praise. The third command shows us why we praise. Look at verse two. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Why? Why do we praise God, Jesus, our creator and redeemer? Right here we're told we praise him for what he's done. For his mighty deeds, which we've already been talking about, his mighty deeds of creation, his mighty deeds of redemption. Is this not what we have seen people praise the Lord for all throughout the Psalter? They've praised him for his mighty deeds of creation, like Psalm 19 and verse 1. Heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. We've seen him him praised as our creator, and we've seen them praise him as redeemer. Psalm 116 says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. The Lord has delivered my soul from death. He's redeemed me. Why do we praise God? We praise him for his mighty deeds. But, shades is so important, see, thinking of his mighty deeds only pushes us That may be where we start. Lord, we praise you because you're creator. We praise you because you're redeemer. For too many people, that's where we stop. Thank you for all that you have done and all that you do for me. Thinking of those things is meant to push us deeper. Not just to praise God for what he's done, but why he has done them. Why has he done all these mighty deeds? He's done them because of who he is. Is that not what the parallel line in verse 2 says? Look at it again. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Parallel line right here. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Hebrew word for excellent right there literally means abundance. Praise, in other words, praise God for his abundant, full to the max, greatness. His fool to the max, love. His fool to the max, faithfulness. His fool to the max, goodness. His fool to the max, beauty. He's the most excellent. He is the greatest. And that's why he does mighty deeds of love like create. He didn't have to. He didn't need to. God wasn't lonely. And in need of a friend. So he created you and me to kind of fill up something lacking in his heart. Now we believe in a God who is eternally triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has perfect community and perfect love within himself. He creates freely out of the overflow of the love that exists within his own heart. He creates because of who he is, because he is abundantly great. And not only does he create because of that reason, but even when that creation rebels against him, further still, he redeems it. He does such mighty deeds of excellent greatness because that's just who he is. The excellent and great one. The deeds of creation and redemption accord with who he is. Put it this way. What I'm trying to say is, apple trees grow on apples. No, apples grow on apple trees. That's right. Not the other way. I mean, I guess technically you could, you know, and then the tree, you plant the... Anyway, sorry. Apples grow on apple trees. The fruit that it produces is in accord with its nature. It's what it, it... It can't do otherwise. Apples grow on apple trees. Toddlers throw tantrums. Atlanta sports teams lose championships. And apparently Alabama teams, college teams at least win them. It's just their deeds just flow out of who they are. All right. So maybe the apples example is the only one that actually works right there. But you get, once again, what I'm saying. God's loving, mighty deeds of creation and redemption, they're in accordance with his excellent greatness. They flow out of who he is. He put on flesh so that you could see that. John 14 John chapter 1 and verse 14, the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, his excellent greatness. His abundant, full to the max glory. We've seen his glory. Glory is of the only gotten from the Father. Full, abundant, to the max. Full of grace and truth. We've seen the fullness of his glory, the abundance of his greatness through the mightiest deed he's ever done of taking on flesh for you, for me. Jesus Christ, who John chapter one calls the creator, Jesus Christ, our creator, came to his creation to be the redeemer and he took on all the sin All the brokenness and did the mightiest deed of all, wrestling it all down into the grave and rising again to save you and me that we might delight in his excellent greatness for all eternity. This is why, Shades, this is why we praise for who he is and what he's done. Christ, our creator and redeemer. Number four. We've seen who, where, and why we praise Number four, the fourth command in this psalm shows us what we use to praise. It shows us what we use to praise. Look at verses three through five. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe or a flute. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. We said the psalter, the stream of the psalter. It has a current that pulls us towards praise. And this list right here, this is the crescendo that pushes us over the waterfall at the conclusion and plunges us into the pool of praise. Verses three through five. It gives us a list of instruments. Everybody's all like, "Ah, now we understand this table that's up here." It gives us a list of, of instruments. And this list, it there, there's a progression to it. It it builds and it's meant to conclude with this erupting crescendo of all-encompassing praise. All of that begins in verse three with the trumpet. Look at it again. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Now, don't think brass trumpet. Sorry, I, I can't talk while I move because microphone. Think this. Think ram's horn is most likely what this Hebrew word right here refers to. Uh, the Israelites used a ram's horn for several different reasons um, and for several different things. They'd use it uh, in war to direct troops, but they also did use it in worship. Uh, a, a blast, of so y'all probably know or heard this thing called a shofar a trumpet, a shofar blast was often used to call the people to worship. If you, um, if you don't have a microphone to tell everybody, hey, we all need to quiet down now, we're getting ready to sing, then, then this thing works fairly well. And yes, for your own enjoyment, I am going to try to blow it for you. So be prepared to laugh, everyone. Here we go. Just got to get ready, you know, warm the, the tongue and the teeth and the lips. That's pretty loud. Thank you. Practiced all week. But yeah, the blast was used to call the people to praise. Call them to praise. But then the list progresses. It builds, and the praise gets bigger. Verse 3 ends, saying, praise him with the lute and the harp. These words most likely refer to the same instrument. But whether they're different instruments or the same, we do know this. They describe the instruments of the priest's. These are the instruments that the priest would use to lead the people in worship. So for us, it's kind of like one of these things. A guitar, a stringed instrument. Yes, this is mine. Yes, I can play it. not oh. It's out of tune. I can play it, not well, so, so don't ask. But anyway. But yeah, so it was an instrument that was used by the priest's To lead in worship. So see the progression right here. We are moving from calling the people to worship to them participating alongside of the priests. See the progression? But it doesn't stop there. It keeps going. It builds. The praise gets bigger. Look at verse 4. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. You all know what a tambourine is? This thing right here. Um, and you probably, when you were a kid, if you ever got to use one of these things in like a music class, you had a top to it. Most likely it's, it's a hand drum at the end of the day. It's a, it's a percussion instrument. It's for keeping a beat alongside of other instruments, like the ones mentioned right here in verse four, strings and pipes or, or flutes. Now, what's interesting about these three instruments mentioned right here, so tambourine, Strings, which is not the same word, not referring to the instruments of the priest. And the flute. What's interesting about these three instruments is they are not normally connected with temple worship in scripture. These are not the instruments of the priest. No, these are the instruments of the people. The the strings right here. It refers to a smaller hand, no, it does not refer to ukulele, but the- yes, this is mine. Yes, once again, I can play it. Yay. Anyway, um, refers to a more personal-sized uh, instrument. It was an instrument of the people. The flute, too. Yeah, I think you all figured out by now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to play all of these things. So the flute, too. Let's see what's going on right here. <sighs> Hey, fun. The psalm's all about praise, people. I thought I would try and, like, make it light and giddy and fun and really, I know it's cheesy, it's corny, but so what? Let's move on. All right. These are both instruments of the people. Um, Common instruments for a common everyday laborer, like a shepherd. Lots of shepherds, like David, played a small handheld harp uh, or string instrument. Many of them also played what was known as a shepherd's Flute. Um, these instruments that are mentioned right here, they're not just instruments of the people. When combined, they are often used to accompany much more than singing. They're used to accompany dancing. Is that not what we saw in verse 4? Sorry, no demonstration here. All right, But they're used to accompany dancing. That's why you need the tambourine. That's why you need percussion and a beat. It's for, It's for dancing. So, see the progression. We've moved from calling the people to worship to their participation alongside of the priest, to now they're joining in the playing and dancing with full-body praising. Do you feel the pull of this progression, pulling everybody, not just the leaders, not just the priests, not just all the people, it's pulling them all into praise, but maybe you feel like it's not pulling you. Especially since it's a list of instruments. we talk through it you may be like that's great Jonathan for all the people who can play I can't join in this because I can't play anything if that's you I've got good news I really think the crescendo of verse 5 is particularly for you verse 5 praise him with sounding symbols praise him with loud clashing symbols sounding symbols those are smaller symbols they're they're clear they're crisp like like a splash symbol This thing, small, clear, short, brief, to the point. And it says, praise him with loud, clashing cymbals. Like this thing, it's called a crash for obvious reasons. From the splash to the crash, Psalmist says, grab all the cymbals. And the good news about a cymbal is that anybody can play it. You ever get one of those participation ribbons like growing up? The symbol is like the participation ribbon of musical instruments. Like anybody can play. You don't have to know chords. You don't have to know strum patterns. You don't have to know like m- uh, the fingering positions or, or mouth mechanics. You just got to be able to hit something. This this list has been progressing. It's been building to the point that it pulls every last one of us into the praise accessing every last possible thing that can be played. No one and nothing is left out. Instruments of the priest, instruments of the people, even things you just got to hit. That's the point of this list, to show us what we use to praise, namely everything. That's the point. It's meant to be all in If you can see it, play it, hit it, grab it. If you can dance, move, sing, do it. Everybody is pulled into praise and there to use everything we have to praise the Lord. This, shades, this list right here, it's about so much more than instruments. Because at the end of the day, you are the instrument. You are the thing that God has ultimately created for his praise. And I don't care if you feel like you're a flute or a loud crashing cymbal. You've been created as a piece of the orchestra that God made for his praise. And the stream of the Psalms ends with a waterfall pulling you, plunging you into a pool of praise. You can see that in verse 6. The Psalms concluding Invitation goes out to every last one of you. I would like to see anybody try and deny it. Psalm 150 and verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's the final call of the Psalms. And what it does is it puts an exclamation point on how And when we praise. We've seen who we praise, where we're to praise him, why, what we use to praise. This call right here, this final call, puts an exclamation point on how and when we praise. It puts an exclamation point on how we praise. I said just a second ago, this list right here—it's about so much more than instruments. I said that you are the instrument. This is about you praising God with everything, with your whole being. I think that's pretty clear right here in verse 6. Let everything that has breath, whatever God gave you, he gave you your breath. He breathed life in you and he breathed his breath into you with a purpose for you to experience the greatest pleasure, the greatest joy. It's what you were made for. And that is the praise of him. Let everything that has breath find its full pleasure for which it was given life. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You are the instrument. Your breath is to be poured out in praise. We have a song that we sing that's got those exact lyrics. It's your breath, God, in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. And that doesn't, pouring out your breath in praise doesn't just mean in song. Yes, it includes that. But it's bigger. It means in how you use every last single breath you've got. It means in how you live your life. Every breath from every being that has it is to be poured out in praise. It's the purpose for which we have sought to be planted like a tree in the streams of the Psalms so that we can drink deeply of the reality that our God reigns, our God is coming, be planted in that reality, and drinking from that stream leads us to bear the fruit of praise. Are you bearing the fruit of praise, Shades? Are we? Am I? Yes, Even, are we using every breath for praise of the Lord? Yes, even when those breaths are breathed through pain. Shades, I've shared with you several times that I find myself in one of the most difficult seasons of my life. In many ways, things are really good. I've told you my mental health is probably the best that it's ever been. God's showing his faithfulness. And yet I still find myself facing some of the most difficult days I have ever faced. I'm sorry. I know that's vague. Holly and I are great. We're doing wonderful. If you want more specifics, ask me. I'm an open book. But I've reached the point in life where I have children that are old enough to understand the things I say in a microphone. So ask me if you want specifics. There are days when it feels like every breath is breathed through pain. No, not literally, physically, you you, you get what I'm saying. There are so many aspects of life that are hard and heavy. And when you're breathing, living through pain, can those breaths still be poured out in praise? Yes. Shades, I testify that that answer is a hard and heavy yes. No matter what season of life you are in, Shades, Plant yourself in the psalms. There's a psalm for every season. To meet you where you are, right in the midst of your pain. Without, somehow, it meets you there without minimizing or dismissing your pain. The psalter somehow meets us in our pain with the hope that our God reigns and is coming. And that's the current that pulls us towards praise. Empowering, even on our worst day, to say the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's not chipper, That's not giddy, that's not cheap praise. It is hard and heavy praise, but it is also full of hope. The Psalter ends with hope. It ends with the hope that one day, the day will come, when all of our sorrow will give way to full and final joy. When we'll just do Psalm 150 without a hint of sorrow in it. It's pointing us. It's putting us on a trajectory. This is where we're headed to the day when all of our praise will be pain-free, solid celebration. Psalm 150 ends with that hope because it ends with the same command with which it began. Hallelujah. Those are the last and final words. Praise the Lord. This command puts the exclamation point on when we praise. It puts the exclamation point on when we praise. Namely, now and forever. It's a command calling us right now to praise the Lord. When do you praise the Lord? Right now. But this is a command that ends the book of Psalms. It's an open-ended command that goes on, not just now, but for forever. It points us forward to the day when all of our praise will truly, fully, finally crescendo in the new heavens and new earth. When we will do what Psalm 1611 says. Find full joy forever. Pleasures at God's right hand forevermore. Full joy forever that will empower full praise forever. Shades, are we planting ourselves in this stream? Not not just the stream of the Psalms. We can enlarge that. Are we planting ourselves in the stream of God's word? We can know. Because it will, it will be pulling us towards Praise, even, even amidst present pain. It will, it will be pulling us towards hope, even, even amidst the heart. It will be pulling us towards Jesus. He's who we praise everywhere because of who he is and what he's done. And so we praise him with Everything, every instrument you can get your hands on with our whole bodies through dance, with every breath that we breathe, we praise him now and forever. Shades, be planted in this stream. Be planted for praise.